Hi, I'm Erin Tyler, and I'm the creative director of Scribe Media and author of the best-selling memoir, The Bad One. And today we're going to talk about scapegoating and narcissism. We're going to talk about my journey to hell and back, and we're going to talk about how you can live your personal truth and reclaim your soul. Here's what I'm constantly curious about, the ongoing impact of childhood trauma. In the argument over the primacy of DNA, the evidence is that, well, nurture one over nature. The environment that we grow up in definitely determines which genes are turned on and which genes are turned off. Meanwhile, we're all watching the crime dramas and we see some kind of, I don't know, like a Buffalo Bill killer from, uh, um, what was it called? Um, <laughs> never mind. Uh, but Silence of guys, the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs, thank you. Silence yeah. of the Lambs. You know, who's had a horrific childhood that has catalyzed some horrendous and heinous acts. But what about the people who appear to have grown up in very normal, even quote, perfect families? How do they come back from the scars of childhood that nobody knows even exist? Think of it this way. When Abraham, you know, that guy, the father of Judaism, Christianity, and the Muslim faith, bound up his son and was willing to sacrifice his son to God. Now, God may have seen that as an act of faith. And from Isaac's point of view, that's some serious childhood trauma to overcome. <laughs> I'm your host, Dove Barron. And I'm going to take you down that road with my special guest today. You can find out more about me and how you can hire me as a speaker or strategist for yourself or your organization by simply going to dovebaron.com. You can go on speaker or consultant, whatever you like. And this episode of Curiosity Bites is brought to you by the awesome music project, connecting music, science, and story to enhance mental health. You can find out more about the awesome music project and the Awesome Music Project Foundation at theawesomemusicproject.com. All right, let's chomp down and dive right in. Have you ever felt like the scapegoat of your own family? Have you ever wondered why you, or maybe even a sibling, feel so much anger towards your parents, even though everyone knows you had an ideal childhood? Well, today's guest is Erin Tyler. She's the author of a fascinating, deeply vulnerable, and enlightening book called The Bad One. Erin Tyler, over, over her career, well, she has celebrated uh, more than 20 years of design. She's designed book covers for multiple New York Times best-selling authors, including such authors as James, James Altua, Ryan Holiday, uh, David Goggins, and Tucker Max. She is a graduate of the Rochester Institute of Technology and currently creative director of Scribe Media. But the backstory to her success is a hero's journey of profound loss, commitment, courage, and resilience that teaches each of us to recognize the truth of our own inner voice, to find a way to express it so that we can find our way home to our own soul. So, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me welcome the author of The Bad One, Wow, what a welcome. Thank you. Yeah. It's so good to have you. I have been really looking forward to this because I think uh, what you do in this book is not only brave, 
but incredibly important for people who think they're mad. And I, that's my term, not yours. People who think they're mad and uh, because they they have a sense of who they are, they have a sense of how they've been, and they've been told they're not that, they're something else. And mm. it feels like they're going crazy. And some of us have had moments like that in our childhood, in our, our primary relationships, it can happen all over the place. We want to talk and dive deep into that. But before I start, I always like to start by asking this one question. Presently, what do you find yourself most curious about? I believe that curiosity is the key to life. And I always like to ask that question because, you know, we find ourselves sort of, yeah, I'm really wondering about that these days. What is it for you? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, you know, being a, an American and having just gone through this in, insane election, um, the thing that I'm most curious about is just how we became so divided uh, and how the dialogue between the two sides broke down so severely mm -hmm. um, and, and what it is that we can do to repair that. And, you know, I believe a lot of that is kind of some of the things that we're going to be speaking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, th I think that there's nothing going on in the world that isn't going on inside of us. And, and much of what we see is a microcosm of a macrocosm and a macrocosm of a microcosm. It's a exactly. extroverted world where we've got to really take a lot of accountability, which, of course, is not always easy to do. It's always easier to go you're the problem mister yes you're the yes. problem missus and the truth of the matter is one out three back mm -hmm. <laughs> one finger pointing out three pointing at you and one pointing at god <laughs> exactly exactly so, um this is a, a beautiful book um for those of you who are watching on video rather than listening you can see that i'm holding up the book this is a beautiful book it feels like a piece of art weighs a freaking ton <laughs> um, not that you know i mean it's not like it's not a 700 page book but it weighs a ton because it's really high quality paper it, it's got the hint of a uh, a graphic non-fiction novel uh mm -hmm. you write and i will say this and i'm not blowing smoke up your skirt because i don't do that you write beautifully you're a beautiful writer uh and it, the, the, it's like I said, it's a piece of art. I mean, when you look at the imagery inside of it and the way it's been laid out, um, the black pages, the white pages, the graphic imagery, I mean, it is truly a stunning piece of work. Uh, and I really was impressed by how beautiful it was in case you're looking at the images. You know, <laughs> it, like I said, it's got this feel of a graphic novel. Um, and it actually was, like I said, beautifully written. So, I know that you and I previously spoke about you found writing to be your way to bring forth what was hidden within you, mm. sort of mm -hmm. by you, for you. So that is where I want to start here is because it was by you, for you. So why write this um, when many would consider this a very personal and deeply vulnerable book? I know that you were originally writing for yourself. So why did you decide to write for something that would come to the world. That for me is interesting to start there because it's a very private book. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I really believe in uh, talking about the things that no one talks about. Mm. I believe that when we keep secrets, we do a grave disservice to ourselves and our children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really feel that it is our responsibility as human beings to come forth and tell these kinds of stories that, uh, you know, maybe they're taboo, maybe you're not supposed to, uh, but I, th- I think it, it has to happen in order for us to heal, you know, the wounds. Certainly agree with that. However, my question moreover to you is this simplicity of, um, you've been writing for a long, long time, mm-hmm. but this book is, was only released in 2020, I believe. Yeah. So what was it? I mean, you probably had volumes before you ever released the book. What was it made you decide to put the book out now as opposed to five years ago or five years from now for that matter? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, one of the stories in my book is um, my uh, mother dressed me up as the devil for Halloween. Yeah. Uh, Front cover and- of the book, by the way. Yeah, front cover of the book. Uh, and, you know, I mean, how, how many books about scapegoating are you familiar with? Most people, I'm sure, have never even heard of any of them. Yeah, a lot of people don't even know what it is. No. Uh, maybe uh, four or five years ago, a little girl came to my door on Halloween dressed as a devil. Really? And mm-hmm, yeah, she came to my door on Halloween dressed as a devil. Uh, and it was very triggering. Um, and it was, it was a very, very triggering experience. And I got very angry after I shut the door, you know, I mean, I gave her the candy and I said, hello to mom and dad and shut the door. And then, you know, basically flew into a rage. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, it was a very, very triggering experience. And it's always writing is something that I have done every morning of my life since 1998. Mm. I'll do it the day that I die, I will write. Um, but, you know, it was that experience of that little child coming to the door that made me sort of realize that I wasn't doing enough for scapego- scapegoat kids. Um, it wasn't enough to just heal myself. I had to do something uh, to share my story. Um, so it was that little girl, because this is what I'm trying to understand, right? Because like you said, you've been writing since 1998. But the book is now. And so what I'm looking at is like, you know, I, I remember a friend of mine f- coming to visit me from Australia um, uh, two years after I'd fallen off the mountain. And he said to me, where's your book? And I went, what book? Mm-hmm. Right. And he's <laughs> like, your book. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, and for it was like, I know that the fall wasn't the trigger for the book. It was somebody saying, the world needs to learn from that. There was a catalyst. And that's what I was looking for. So it was that, was that little girl to like, I got to take this writing and make it public, not even public, but published in, in a book form. Was it that that said, this is how I can make that bigger difference? Or was it, is it something else? Or is that a piece of it? That was a piece of it. You know, right. people have been telling me for many, many years that I needed to share my writing in the form I'm of a sure. book. I work in publishing. I share my writing with friends. You know, I, I had been told 
for years, you have to publish a book. This is a great story. You got to share this story with the world. But I do not think until 2019, I was that willing to sort of radically live in the truth of that book right. and, ex and accept that emotional truth. That was my emotional reality. Because that's a, that's a painful and difficult thing to do if you grow up in a dysfunctional family. Absolutely. So I want to dive into that because um, the subtitle of the book is Growing Up as a Goat. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, I mentioned the Abraham Isaac thing, um, and that is a biblical piece. And again, it's, it's, it's actually in the beginning of the book where you talk about what a scapegoat was and that people would lay their sins upon a goat and then it would, you know, die in the desert sort of thing. Uh, and in other words, somebody else gets to carry your sins. And you talk about growing up as a goat, meaning carrying the sins. So before we dive into that, I would like for you to maybe help people to understand what is the thing that people, like, you know, before we even go into it, scapegoating what what does what is it most people would never even consider know about that that they need to know to start off what is that sort of punch in the nose piece of information that everybody should have you know well we're aware of scapegoating it's around um uh, another common term for the the scapegoat kid is the black sheep yep very very common term um you know, I mean, every family has one, right? I would um, know nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, a, it's an incredibly common phenomenon. There's even a lot of pop culture, a lot of really great books mm -hmm. um, that sort of somewhat slightly kind of mention the phenomenon and the experience, mm -hmm. but uh, nobody really sort of tells the story from the point of view of the scapegoat. And you know what the scapegoat is, is it, it's the blame bucket. It's the center of blame. Yes. And essentially uh, within a family, if you have uh, people within it that are unwilling to accept uh, anything bad about themselves, unwilling to feel any kind of negative emotions out of uh, trauma-based insecurity, essentially, what happens is that becomes externalized and it becomes projected on something safe. It's usually yeah. a kid because you have power over your kid. You can make your kid into whatever you want. You can make your kid suffer through anything you want to happen. And so, you know, usually one of the kids gets identified as externalizable. I don't even know if mm -hmm. that's a word. Yeah. Um, and what we, everybody does is they blame it for everything that goes wrong in the family. So I, I have to put a pause on that for a minute, because as you're saying this, you know, of course, I know what scapegoating is. And, you know, you and I had talked about it before. Mm -hmm. But as we're saying this, I want to be clear that Aaron is not saying they had a family meeting and said, oh, you know, let's all blame Johnny for everything. Mm -hmm. This is not a conscious choice of a family meeting in 99.9% .9 of cases 99.9999 percent of cases it's not a conscious journey where the family said oh you know we just blame this person but it happens in the dynamics of a family oftentimes because of things not faced within the within the context of the family 
and maybe in the context of the parents within that family who set up a family dynamic. Is that a, is that a fair way to put it, Erin? Com- completely accurate. Um, it, it is an unconscious form of, of aggression. Um, right. I, I would be shocked if there was even uh, a handful of parents out there that were like, yeah, I scapegoat my kid. Yeah, <laughs> they just, they don't even know that they're doing it, but it is terrifyingly real for mm. the child who is being held accountable for these things. Yeah, you know, the analogy I've given to somebody was, um, if you've ever had a friend who had eczema or something similar, and, you know, they would be scratching at something and not even aware they're scratching at it, um, and making it bleed. Um, And a lot of times a parent who scapegoats is devastated to discover that that's what they were doing to Mm -hmm. their child. And they've been picking at the saw, only the child has been turned into the saw and is constantly picked at. Um, and the kid is not even aware, you know, it be, and this is the other thing that I want to get into here because the problem with it is, and I think this is so beautifully put by you in the book and, and really magnificently portrayed, is this... I spoke a lot about the idea of normal. Normal isn't healthy. Normal's just whatever the hell you grew up with and what you got used to. And so you start to normalize shitty things in your life. doesn't matter who you are. We, mm-hmm. we normalize these things in our lives. We make them okay. And we make them okay because it's what our mom did or what our dad did. And, you know, and, and they can't be bad people. So we normalize and we therefore normalize feeling like a piece of poo all day long. Mm. And so this is really, you know, you laid out this, this conflictual argument within yourself around this must be normal. There must be something wrong with me. And the conflict of maybe I'm not bad. that, you know, maybe, maybe I talk to us a little bit about the, the normalization of, being scapegoated because you're not the only child in the family Mm -hmm. right so there's a little bit about the family dynamic and and the normalization you know i mean i think normalization is a word that we use these days to describe when something that is just bizarre becomes institutionalized yep uh i think when you are born into a dysfunctional family normal is reality Yes, it is reality. Um, and so there was never a process of, oh, I was good. And then I was bad. It was just, I was born bad. I was a bad seed. Um, I, there was something innately, uh, from birth just, uh, with probably biological cause wrong with me. It didn't matter Mm -hmm. what I did. Uh, I would never redeem that innate, a deep, deep, profound badness that I was born into. And there was nothing wrong with me. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think I would call it normalizing. I think I would say that, you know, when you are, are born into a dysfunctional family, it is your reality. It is all you know. Uh, all you know is that, you know, this is what's real. You are bad. Uh, and there's nothing you can do to redeem it. So... So that's a great, great point and a good distinction. So it's not even 
it, it, it is not normalized to that individual. It just is. It's mm-hmm. a statement of fact that most people, and this is why I think you know, the book is important. This is why I want to have this conversation, that most people will never question. Mm-hmm. Most people will, will never, they just go, oh, yeah, I'm just a piece of shit. I just, I'm a bad person. I mean, I've actually mm-hmm. had those conversations with people. I'm like, actually, you're not. And they're like, you don't understand. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I think I understand. I'm not sure that you do, right? Yeah. So it's just because, you know, I've always said it's impossible. Nobody is objective in a subjective reality. It is impossible for a fish yes. to describe water. And this is the water you live in is you're the bad one. And therefore, why would you question it? But there does come a point, uh, an awakening in one's evolution psychologically where you may begin to question and certainly that was where you got to and i want to go to that in a minute but you just talked about it not being um not being normalized but simply the way things were mm-hmm. yeah let's just say with with scapegoating as a general first um do you see and because this is just something you and i touched on even before we started recording do you see scapegoating as something that's locked inside uh, the family or parenting model, the familial thing, or do you see it as more scapegoating? Do you see it as something that happens in <laughs> yeah, a large I, way? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's still banning uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. They're still banning it. Really? Uh, it's a, in America, Oh my just God. just last month, they uh, in a school system they banned it because it made people feel uncomfortable, which is the exact damn purpose of that book. Yes. Um, yeah, I think scapegoating is everywhere. I think everywhere there's a human tribe of people trying to stay together and be cohesive. You've got scapegoating going on. Because uh, you know when when you and I had talked about it, and I've written a lot about tribal behavior and 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 tribal uh, leadership and all these things that are happening politically and nationally and internationally, uh, and you know one of the I studied cult psychology for many years and written about that in the form of politics, and say you know one of the key elements of a cult is to find a common enemy, a scapegoat. <laughs> Yes. Right, a, a common common enemy, and then keep sacrificing that scapegoat every day until everybody learns that's where you put all your sins every single day. So whether mm-hmm. that is Muslims or whether that is Jews in in um, in uh, Germany back in the twenties, thirties, forties, whether that is you know a member of a family, whether that is Donald Trump, who, mm-hmm. as you and I were talking about before. Yeah. Um, for me personally is not a problem he's a symptom of a problem right mm-hmm. and so yeah of course you can like him or dislike him it doesn't matter he's simply a result of as is for that matter nancy pelosi or whoever it is you want to look at they're all yeah. symptoms of um but this common need to scapegoat you and i both see that we see it at a global level but I don't think that, I, I, first of all, I don't think people recognize it at a global level. They say, mm-hmm. oh, it's true. <laughs> it's true. The Jews are robbing us in Germany. Um, the, the Muslims are all terrorists. No. 
uh, the, the uh, you know, there's always somebody to blame. So when we see that and people don't want to see it, it's much harder to see when it's this close to you and it's mm -hmm. your mom, your dad, your siblings, yourself. How do you, when you're having conversations with somebody who you can see who is scapegoating, let's take it on a general level first. Like, so maybe they're scapegoating at a, uh, a more say political level or whatever it is. And you, cause for you and I, it's glaring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you not go, hey? <laughs> I mean, I want to. I, I'm, I'm sure. sure do. I do too, but I don't. Yeah. So, I definitely so want to, you, but. I mean, for you, it's got to be very hot. You know, it's a hot thing. You know, I think, uh, honestly, if, if you have a group of people who are scapegoating, you have a situation where you have a group of people who uh, are doing a hive mind thing. Mm -hmm. You know, well, why are they doing a hive mind thing? Mm -hmm. uh, because they were not allowed to develop a healthy sense of self as children. They have trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have trauma. And so I think you can tell them all day long, you're scapegoating. I don't think it's going to matter uh, because they feel empty inside and they don't feel in touch with their authentic self. Mm. And I think it's a much deeper, much bigger problem of fixing the reversal of, of emotional dynamics between parents and children that somehow became twisted and backward at some point. I don't know when, um, but I think it is a problem of, that's only going to be solved by really focusing our energy on how is it that we raise children who feel emotionally secure and feel as if they have an authentic sense of self, have a connection to culture, have a connection to the world. So right there, Aaron, I mean, that, that opens up a massive thing that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm deliciously excited to jump into because, um, you know, I've always said that all war is ego-based, meaning somebody's right, somebody's wrong. Um, and that need to be right and be um, is driven from a lack of uh, self, lack of sense of self and lack mm -hmm. of security. And that lack of security comes from the original bonds or wounds inside of a family dynamic. So what is the solution? Well, the solution is to build great bonds with your children and teach them a sense of authentic authenticity and, and genuine ownership of self, self-authoring, etc. At the same time, uh, I also understand the psychology of it. And the psychology of it is that human beings are great at polarizing. And what I mean by that is that uh, if you're my generation, you grew up with parents who probably beat you with a, with a belt uh, when you needed to be disciplined. And it was, quote, normal. Uh, again, using normal in the context of which we spoke about it earlier. Not healthy, just normal. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got the the polar response to that which is oh my god i'll never do that to my child and then there's no discipline for the kids the kids run riot and yeah. then you're asking the kids to do what you want them to do and you're apologizing while doing it and your kid now doesn't have a sense of self they have a sense of control over the parent um so you know in many ways there's a need for a, 
a global parenting class. <laughs> now, class yeah. would be a gross understatement, <laughs> but global parenting training. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, you have to get a you have to get a license for your dog, you have to get a license for your car, but you don't have to get a license to have yeah. a kid. This yeah. is a problem. <laughs> you know, I, I I think it is a problem. Um, I I think also if you're a you know if you're a parent and you don't know what to do, where do you go? Who do you go yeah. to? Uh, you know, if you're uh, feeling, you know, if you're drinking too much, if you're uh, abusing drugs, if you're, uh, you know, if your personal relationships are a mess, if any of these things are happening, who do you go to? Who do you talk to? Mm -hmm. uh, I think trauma care is the number one thing we need in this world. Trauma care. So when you say trauma care, I agree with that. Tell me, tell us what you mean by trauma care, because I, I mean, first of all, well, no, let me go there first and then we, we'll explore it. What do you mean by trauma care? So, I mean, uh, how many times have you heard the term narcissism used pejoratively? All the time. It's thrown Constantly. Around. It's thrown yeah. around like a hate term. Oh, Trump, he's a narcissist. You know, he's, oh, he's narcissistic as if it's something he can control. Mm -hmm. He has trauma. Yes. He has trauma. Mm -hmm. And so does every other narcissist. Yep. You know, so it's a, it's a reframing of how, how we see the human individual. And then uh, we need to dump as many resources as possible into trauma care and that means talk therapy that means uh emdr that means psychedelic therapy i know that's a kind of a naughty thing to say in this day and age no it's, it's getting a little bit that, which is great we've done we've actually done some episodes of on this platform about it yeah uh, it's a it's a miracle for people who have trauma it's an absolute yeah. miracle it's like five yeah. years of therapy in five hours yeah, exactly. um yeah so it's it's giving people access to these kinds of resources um, that we're going to see the greatest gains in terms of like being great parents towards our children, being better individuals towards each other, being, um, you know, being better neighbors in terms of countries relating to each other. It's, I, I think that's going to be, you know, the, the place where we're going to see the greatest gains in terms of things that we want to achieve. And I agree with you. The challenge becomes the fish is swimming in the water. Mm -hmm. And so, well, you know what? Okay, let, let's just use the example you brought up. People saying, well, Trump is a narcissist. You and I see him as a traumatized child who is in an adult body. Okay. But if you went to that person and said, listen, here's your symptoms here's what this looks like and here's some help that person would likely tell you to go forth and self-multiply and <laughs> um, that person's not likely to a admit the trauma and we've seen that um, b admit that they have any kind of a challenge mm -hmm. um, because the, the self-protective mechanisms that are built around that identity is so like 
you know, that is the wall. Strong, strong. That is the wall, right? You know, let's yeah. build a wall. I, when I heard that from a psychology point of view, I was like, oh yeah, I know what wall you're talking about. <laughs> I did too. It's not the wall of Mexico. <laughs> it's the wall of letting anybody in. So yeah. the other piece of this is that, uh, let's say that, you know, I didn't meet him and I'm sure you didn't. Uh, we didn't meet Fred Trump but it's pretty easy to work out what kind of a father he was uh, mm. and that he was probably traumatized and it's a multi-generational process. And mm. I'm pretty sure from what I've read about Fred, he wouldn't have said, Oh yeah, I'll listen to the symptoms and I'm going to get some help. So it's one thing to talk about trauma care and, and even to build systems that provide trauma care, but it's a whole other thing for people who are traumatized to a put their hand up and overcome the shame and say, yep, okay, I will, uh, yeah, I need that. That's a whole different gig. And then even say, even putting the hand up and saying, yeah, I can see that I'm traumatized, but I'll put my other end up and get treatment. That's a different mm -hmm. gig again. So yeah. talk to us about that when, you know, looking out in the world, we're going to bring it back on you. Don't worry, you're not getting away. I'm going to bring it back on you, but I want to- I'm happy to talk about the world. I know, I know you are, but I want- I, what I really want our, our listeners to get, our viewers to get, is this understanding that you, as in you, the listener viewer, are very likely, in all possibility, traumatized at some level. And a lot of people don't want to say that because they don't want to, A, feel like victims, B, they don't want to look guilt- uh, don't want to look weak and they don't have and they don't want to have shame and i want us you and i to bring forward that you're not a victim you don't have to have shame mm -hmm. um and but the identity piece is going to be the hardest thing to overcome and in stepping forward and saying i could do with some insistence here right yeah uh, you know, I mean, I have a lot of, uh, I would say, probably avant-garde ideas about what it is that narcissism is and why it is so problematic. And I, I think, you know, I, I don't think that narcissists are as untreatable as most clinicians would say. I really mm -hmm. don't think they are. Heinz Kohut did a great deal of work with narcissists back in the 50s and 60s. He found them easy to work with eventually when he changed his sort of modality as being less authoritarian. Mm -hmm. um, I think the problem is narcissists are so easy to manipulate. And I think we have this system of identity politics where we have narcissists on one side and narcissists on the other side, hating on each other. And they're very, very easy to control. And I think mm. they're very easy to advertise to. I think they're very easy to manipulate. And I think that's why we don't do anything uh, to treat people with narcissism. We say they're so uncurable. No, you can't cure them. Well, Heinz Kohut did it. That right there is something that you and I agree on, is that narcissists are so easy to manipulate. Mm -hmm. And everybody thinks that you can't manipulate a narcissist because they're so fixated. And because they're fixated, it makes them a very easy target. Yes. And that's what nobody seems to grasp. If I volunteer to blow skirt, or smoke up your skirt and you're a narcissist, I'm your best friend. And I can mm -hmm. get you to do whatever I want you to do as long as I keep the smoke machine. Right? Yeah. 
And and I think that I had a conversation with somebody inside the Trump, who has been on the inside of the Trump administration, a private conversation, um, who was, and I said, well, it's very clear to me that Donald Trump is a puppet. Mm-hmm. Um, and the person said to me, oh my God, nobody's ever said that to me before. And I thought I was the only one who thought it. I go, what? No, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that that's exactly what he is. I mean, yeah. I can like or dislike the man. I can agree with his policies or not agree with his policies, but I can see what, what and I can see how easy it would be to do that because, as you said, narcissists are so easy to manipulate. But because of that, they also make it, it do you feel like it's been sort of heroified in, in the, in the, in the, uh, American mentality of, you know, the, the good fight of Americans, you know, we're going to overcome, you know, and here's this narcissist and we sort of, we kind of heroify them. I mean, yeah. I mean, Ayn, Ayn Rand, uh, self-interest, capitalism, it all goes together so nicely. Uh, and I think that is the story of the American, the successful American. And I think a, a person who is operating on that level of disconnect between you know, their bluster and what's really going on inside of them is a deeply troubled individual who's terribly unhappy. But I also think they're very easy to manipulate. It's very easy to get them to vote for what you want them to vote for. Absolutely. It's very easy to get them to worship as you want them to worship or to go to war if you want them to go to war. And so I think that's why we pour no resources into, into treating people on, on a level that, you know, is really going to help them out and, and cure them of what so, ails them. That is so insightful. Um, we're already at the end of part one. Can you believe it? Uh, Holy so, crap. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, and I think it's a great, some great insights right there in this part. Um, for you who are listening, of course, this is the end of part one of this delicious episode of Curiosity Bites, where we're looking at what it means to be scapegoated, to be the, the reality of being a bad one. And we're going to come back uh, in part two with Aaron Tyler. And this is something that you really need to take the time to listen to, pay attention to, and really maybe a little bit of self-examination of not only yourself but the family dynamic that you grew up in not about making anybody wrong but being about able to recognize and validate yourself in the process we're going to be back on part two very soon so stay curious my friends stay curious